to the 2018 6th Annual Kessler Neurotrauma Conference, sponsored by Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and Kessler Foundation. This conference presents an in-depth look at the art of delivering individualized rehabilitation services to this diverse patient population. Physicians, clinicians, and research scientists will provide insight into a range of topics, from mobility and fatigue to intimacy and sexuality to employment and empowerment, and will offer innovative evidence-based strategies to effectively support both the patient and the caregiver. This podcast was recorded and produced by Joan Bank-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, December 6th, 2018 at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey. In this lecture podcast, Dr. Denise Fife of Kessler Foundation presents Racial Ethnic Differences in Wheelchair Repairs, Breakdowns, and Consequences in SCI. Dr. Fife is a senior research scientist in the Spinal Cord Injury Outcomes and Assessment Research at Kessler Foundation. For more information about Dr. Fife, check out her online bio by clicking the link within this podcast description. To listen to more conference podcasts, information about Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, or Kessler Foundation, check out the links within the description of this podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter. Dr. Denise Fife, who is a senior research scientist here at the Kessler Foundation, and Dr. Nathan Hogaboom, who is a uh, postdoctoral fellow, are going to be presenting on racial and ethnic differences and wheelchair repairs, breakdowns, and consequences in persons with spinal cord injury. Good evening, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. All right, right, okay. Not, and, and no diabetic hazes from the lovely meal that's been served this evening. Um, so we wanted to talk to you a bit about wheelchair repairs, breakdowns, um, and consequences in SCI. Um, and so um, Nathan and I just thought it would be great if we just tag team this presentation. Um, he comes to us, well, I will, I'll save him, he can do his own introduction. Uh, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, started at Kessler Foundation about 10 years ago. My research tends to uh, focus on health disparities and spinal cord injury, particular functional disparities. And um, this was one of, uh, this is a project that I've been working on for a few years with um, our collaborators, Mike Boninger at um, Pitt, and uh, as part of the, the SCI model systems. We don't have any uh, conflicts of interest to disclose. Want to make sure I get that out of there. So, um, and thankfully, you know, you know, uh, we at Kessler have been a part of the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury Model Systems for over 25 years, and um, had the wonderful opportunity to, to, uh, opportunity to collaborate with our um, all of the SCI model systems, in, but specifically for this project. Uh, the folks at Pitt who are leading that, uh, that effort. And the study, these studies, sorry, are all funded by uh, NIDLER, which is a national institute on disability, independent living, and rehabilitation research. Uh, the learning objectives for today's uh, session is to talk a little bit about um, EQUATE. That's our acronym for the study that we're working on with Pitt. Um, and Nathan's also going to mention uh, another project that Pitt's leading. It's called Commit. Um, so that's a collaborative effort that has been a part of the SCI model systems for at least three cycles. So there's at least three waves of data. 
So it works out to about 15 years worth of data, and it's ongoing even this in this cycle, so it's about 20 years worth of data that we'll be talking about. Nathan will be describing a little bit about, well, we both will, but in different ways, uh, wheelchair repairs resulting from um, and um, any resulting adverse consequences, and the factors that contribute to those uh, types of repairs and the consequences. And then I'll also be uh, digging a little deeper and talking a little bit about wheelchair breakdowns and consequences observed across racially and ethically diverse groups living with an SCI. So, wheelchair breakdowns and consequences. Do, do wheelchairs break down? <laughs> Seeing the obvious. Does that happen? In terms of your clients and your patients, what do you generally see in your clinical practice or when you're working with your clients in terms of wheelchair breakdowns and consequences? Sorry, say again? Leg rests don't work. Leg rests don't work. Okay. Breaks. Are you, okay, you, you get, are you getting me Nathan? Okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry, what else? Poor seating? Cushion problems. Tires. Armrest problems. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, every part <laughs> so, of the wheelchair I can, all right, so. Sorry? The seat? Okay, all right. Batteries on the power wheelchairs? Okay, what else? The backs? Mm-hmm. Too wide or too narrow? I, I, I have a question about that one, but is it based on, uh, okay. I, I was wondering about shape. Oh, okay. Potentially, potentially. Did you have your hand up? Or no, you're just rubbing the back of your hand. Okay, as long as you move, you'll be called up, be called upon, right? And anything that we, we, might have, we might have missed that you want to mention? No? Okay, I'm, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing um, your experiences and uh, patterns, some things that you've observed. Um, hopefully we'll do it justice in terms of like <laughs> uh, following up on this, because I'm, I'm curious then after we do our talk what you think about some of the findings. So we'll come back again to the audience and, and get some feedback on, on um, your observations based on what we're, uh, we're seeing. Um, okay, I'm gonna turn it over to Nathan. Get us started. Thank you, Denise. Can you guys hear me okay? All right. There were some mic issues earlier. Uh, so my, <clears throat> my name is Nathan Hogaboom. I actually graduated from the University of Pittsburgh working with Mike Boninger, uh, who Denise mentioned, who is the PI of uh, the Equate module, or one of the PIs of the Equate module. And so, yeah. it's not, yeah, all right. We'll just cancel this. All right, better or worse or the same? Okay, um, all right, so my research, excuse me, my research was focused on a different aspect of wheelchair use, but I also became a little bit interested in the breakdowns because we've had a bit of a history. Uh, I think the first paper out of the lab was published in 2009 uh, looking at the breakdowns and what are we termed adverse consequences, so what happens after the breakdown uh, to individuals. Um, so that's where I, I ended up getting involved in this, and then I came to Kessler, and which is another site that was involved in this particular project, and so we kind of just meshed and uh, did a little bit of work on a project, and hopefully maybe more in the future. Uh, <clears throat> so we'll move on here. Perfect. Uh, so I usually like to start my slide, my presentations with this particular picture. Does this look familiar to anybody? 
maybe, yes, no. Uh, so this is what's called the ICF model, International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health. Uh, essentially, what this model describes is that disability is not, in, the, in my particular case, or not my particular case, but the case of this presentation is not, uh, when you have paralysis, the disability is not necessarily your paralyzed legs. Disability is actually a function of a lot of different aspects of life. Uh, it is your, essentially, you are not disabled, it is the environment around you that disables you. And so, in this particular model, we have what are called activities, uh, participation, your body functions and structures, which in this case would be your spinal cord injury or your traumatic brain injury, your stroke, uh, which would relegate you to life in a wheelchair. You also have what are called personal factors, so race, ethnicity, uh, income level, occupation, etc. You have environmental factors, which could be just the simple uh, stairs in front of your house that, without a ramp that prevent you from getting into a building, or it can be something like technology, in our case, wheelchairs. And so this model conceptualizes what it's like to have a disability in that it's the interaction of all these things that would actually disable an individual instead of actually having paralysis. And so what, I would, what I'm focusing on for this presentation is, the, is technology, which would lie somewhere in this environmental factors. And then Denise will move on to uh, other areas of the, the model. So as we know, as everyone in this room probably knows, the wheelchair is the single most enabling technology for someone with a spinal cord injury, uh, for the, the gamut of spinal cord injuries. It is not only allows someone to be mobile to get around, which can lead to employment or uh, participation in social activities, et cetera, et cetera. It also is a way to manage a lot of secondary consequences that occur as, as a result of a spinal cord injury. Uh, for example, the, probably the most glaring is pressure injuries. So you have a, a power wheelchair that enables you to manage your pressure when you yourself cannot manage it. Uh, same with the manual chair. Uh, so the wheelchair, anything that happens to a wheelchair can eventually lead to some kind of disabling factor. Uh, it has impacts on activities. It allows you to, a proper wheelchair allows you to transfer into, say, the, the bathtub or onto the bed. It allows you to, say, get out of the house and visit with friends. It also allows you to possibly get a job, improve your employment or in income level. And it also allows you potentially to overcome some of these environmental factors. And so the wheelchair really is one of the most enabling technologies. Here's just another conceptualization of the same thing I've been talking about. It allows you to move within an environment, move between an environment, potentially manipulate objects. So there was some research done about a little bit over a decade that, yes, the wheelchair is the most enabling piece of technology but it is also one of the most, uh, the greatest barriers to full participation. And so not only does, say, a wheelchair, the way it's designed prevents someone to, say, get up the stairs or get up a curb, uh, it also, other things that happen, which is the topic of our presentation here, the wheelchair can break down. And so I don't think I need to explain the consequences of uh, the, I guess, the negatives associated with breakdowns to this particular crowd. 
But what I will talk about is how common they are, the types of breakdowns which we all discussed. Uh, so somewhere between, and you might be able to speak to this, um, this is what the research shows, somewhere between 44% and 63% of people who have spinal cord injury have reported some component of their wheelchair needing a repair within the past six months. And these are from studies that have been done over the past decade, which is a lot. I mean, you can imagine if half of you were in your house and then your shoes just kind of fell apart and you needed someone to come and repair your shoes, that would be quite annoying. And so what I'll actually be talking about is how these things can lead to some negative health consequences. All right, sorry. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, here's just some examples like you guys were, oh, there we go, that you, you guys were mentioning of some wheelchair breakdowns. So flat tire, missing leg rest, a busted frame, a busted nut or a bolt. Uh, so here's some caster misalignments, uh, some busted frames, a busted leg rest and another busted frame. All these things can uh, have some very negative consequences. Just some more statistics for you guys. Wheelchair, wheels and casters are the most common sites of breakdowns for manual chairs. As opposed to power chairs, you have the most common are electrical systems and power control systems. Now wheels and casters can be particularly annoying because they are what makes your wheelchair mobile. So you have a broken caster, you have a broken wheel, you're therefore not able to be mobile anymore. The electrical systems, power control systems can be particularly, uh, particularly negative because that is a lot of times for a power chair, that is what re relegates your, uh, regulates your power, your, um, excuse me, your pressure control or your pressure management. So if you can't use your power controls, can't use your power tilt, your power recline, then you're not able to manage your pressure and this can lead to potentially negative health outcomes. This is exactly what we found. Power wheelchairs tend to break down more than manual chairs, and this is simply because power wheelchairs are far more complex in their manufacturing than manual chairs. Manual chairs, most of them are this kind of simple frame with some wheels, uh, the casters, a seat, and a backrest. So things can obviously break, but when you look at this thing right here, it's controlled by a bunch of motors and actuators, batteries, a bunch of wires that can come loose. And so these things uh, tend to break down a little bit more often. And what also happens is when these things break, the power chairs, there are more often adverse consequences associated with it. And this is really um, a function of someone who uses a power chair is typically going to be less mobile than someone who uses a manual chair. They're probably going to have something like tetraplegia, a higher level injury, and just not able to get around as easily. So a couple examples of consequences that we discussed, and you guys can chime in if you have any others that you've experienced. But these are the ones that we've seen is um, individuals are often report being stranded, so they can't use their chair, so they'll be just stuck in their house, essentially, stuck on a couch or on a bed, uh, which is obviously not very good. They will, some of them will actually be injured, and often they will report either missing work or school or missing medical appointments, which can be pretty bad. So what we did, 
Well, we... Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so what Denise just pointed out is that this particular image is from a study that looked at how the, breakdown, the rates and breakdowns have changed over the past 10 years. And so what they've seen is the, the, gray, the light gray bar on the left is the most recent data set from 2006 to 2011. The one, the dark gray bar, is from 2004 to 2006. So what this shows is that there actually is an increase in the in number of breakdowns that have occurred uh, over time. And what this points to is a, essentially decreases in the um, quality of the wheelchairs over time which stems from poor manufacturing processes. And there are a whole plethora of reasons that this could be. Um, namely, or probably the one that is most responsible for these trends is uh, decreases in manufacturing processes that are associated with competitive bidding pro uh, the competitive, competitive bidding process. So Medicare will often put out a bid, and they'll say, hey, we want to pay this much for a wheelchair, so make sure that you are able to manufacture a wheelchair to, uh, well, they'll say, I want to pay this much for a wheelchair. It's up to the company really to decide how much money do I want to put into design, testing, fabricating, manufacturing the wheelchair. And so often, as companies will do, they will kind of lowball it. And what happens is you have an ineffective wheelchair. And uh, an example of this is actually what happened to Invacare in 2012. If you guys are familiar with that, they got busted by the FDA because they weren't adhering to the manufacturing requirements of the FDA. And so they essentially, in, you know, for three years, they were busted by the FDA, and they eventually had to kind of re go back and redo their whole design, testing, quality control process. Now they're back to doing what they do, but that's just kind of an example of what's been happening. Thank you, Denise. So here's a, a study that I recently, that we recently did, Denise is on, was part of it. Uh, it was published in 2008. And what I actually, what I wanted to do is, yeah, we know that these wheelchairs break down. But what happens to the person after it breaks down? Because you would think that if you are stuck in a bed or stuck on a couch, you are probably going to be at risk of developing these secondary injuries, like pain or pressure ulcers. Um, you're going to be at worse or at risk for worse overall health. And it's exactly what I want to see. And so what I did was I looked at whether people who had breakdowns and people who had adverse consequences from breakdowns. So this white bar right here is someone who did not have a breakdown. The, gray, the light gray bar here is someone who had a breakdown but no adverse consequence. So they weren't stranded, they weren't injured, etc. And then the dark gray, dark gray striped bar is the, are the people who had a breakdown and had an adverse consequence. And so what we found was that people who had a breakdown but no adverse consequence really didn't, there wasn't really much difference in pain or perceived health in those individuals compared to people who didn't have breakdowns. People who had adverse consequences, however, showed worse health, they had worse pain, they had more higher rates of pressure injuries, and uh, rehospitalizations caused by uh, skin breakdown. So here's just a little graph. So no wheelchair failures, 
they maintained their health. If they had a wheelchair failure but they weren't stranded, they were able to attend their medical appointments, and they were able to leave the home, they still maintained their health. However, if they had a failure but they were stranded, missed a medical appointment, or unable to leave the home, that's when you saw the increases in pain or worsening of health. Which just is really uh, emphasizes the need to prevent these particular breakdowns from happening. You can do that for a number of ways, which I'll get to in just a minute. Uh, so yeah, here's just another example of the, um, the, the actual rates of repairs that are needed over the years, reemphasizing what I was discussing earlier. And so as just a, a, a shout out to what Denise mentioned earlier, the Commit Project is essentially a, uh, it's a module that teaches people how to either repair their wheelchairs or teaches clinicians how to repair wheelchairs when they see some kind of failure or breakdown on one of their patients or people in their clinic, or as well teach them how to repair their own wheelchairs as well. Uh, I put this up here just for you guys because we found that there's really not a lot of knowledge out there about this, uh, particularly with the individuals themselves. Uh, all it really takes is a couple tools and the ability to manipulate these tools to repair these wheelchairs. Uh, so you can potentially, potentially prevent a lot of secondary consequences as a result of these uh, repairs or breakdowns. And so here's the link for you guys. Now it's on to Denise, who hopefully has less mic problems. I mean, we can just wait till the end, I was thinking, yeah. Does anyone have any burning questions out there? <laughs> You know, we talked a little bit about um, the uh, types of breakdowns, but what are some of the consequences that you see, though, in your practice in terms of, is it, can you hear me now? Okay. Oh, does, well, I just figured I'd be, I'm close up here, so I didn't want any interference. So. Oh, sorry, I'm talking technical. Having a technical conversation at the same time. Sorry. Um, so, in terms of uh, in terms of the consequences that um, Nathan mentioned, do, are there some things that you've seen in your work with clients or patients in terms of some of the consequences of um, wheelchair breakdowns that you'd be willing to share? I'm not giving. I, I can give you the mic, but anyone have any? Antidote. So I was I was uh, talking about my experience seeing patients who've had cushions that have malfunctioned um, and developed wounds from them, and also patients who have breakdowns or, you know, with power chairs in the community that get stuck in a store, on a bus, at a bus stop or something like that, you know? And then how do they get home? Right. And what do you go through? Like, how do you resolve those issues? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, yeah, you can't call AAA, right? You know? Uh, yeah. Um, Any other anecdotal, anecdotal things you want to share? Oh, 
Thanks so much. I, uh, I would say one of the biggest functional impacts that we see is the reliability of return to work um, because having a reliable means of transport to and from work. Um, so a lot of times we're working with clients to make sure that they have access to those means. It's no different than if you're unable to maintain a vehicle or have unreliable access to public transportation. So that's a really big impact when we're talking with patients about wanting to return to work, especially our newer injury patients. It becomes a main focus of our um, discussions as far as maintaining equipment and the type of equipment that we order. And that conversation happens very quick, very soon in the process. So even when we're talking about before we prescribe the equipment, you know, are they someone that's going to maintain tire pressure? Are they someone that's going to maintain different types of caster alignments? Do we get aluminum casters versus poly casters? So those are conversations that I think we can start to have with clients sooner too, especially determining what type of environment they're going to go back to and what their functional goals are going back to. Thank you. Thank you. Those are some really helpful ideas. Okay. Um, I think that we, um, you know, Nathan gave us sort of an overview of the work that we've done, um, our research so far, uh, in terms of looking at wheelchair breakdowns and some of the consequences. And I think the clinical implications that were just brought up are, are really important for us to think about and how we approach our uh, clients, patients, uh, in a timely manner, uh, particularly knowing that, you know, the wheelchair is such an important uh, mobility device for uh, individuals living with a spinal cord injury. So, as I mentioned to you before, a lot of my research looks at health disparities um, and racial and ethnic differences in SCI. And um, so what I'm going to do it just uh, is to dig a little deeper uh, and, um, you know, knowing that we, we have seen some changes in the pattern, like, you know, in terms of the uh, proportion or the, um, the frequency of wheelchair breakdowns that are, that are reported you know, by um, our, uh, that we found in this study and that we're seeing uh, on average about 50% of people living at SCI reporting a breakdown over the past six months um, and with various, um, you know, being stranded being the number one uh, negative consequence. Um, but I, I was interested in um, looking a little bit more at uh, trying to understand if there is, uh, any differences that we see in terms of racial and ethnic groups. And this is sort of comes from, so my, my colleagues from Pitt, um, including Nathan, and some of my colleagues at Pitt have, you know, in their previous study, they identified the fact that um, they saw um, higher rates of uh, wheelchair repairs um, that were reported among minority groups. And um, um, and then there are also more minority groups were also more likely to report um, that they had a negative consequence in the past six months as a result of that wheelchair failure. And interestingly enough, like you know, in terms of these previous studies, some of my um, colleagues in our discussions about the these the what's going on, you know, it, what, one of the things that they found in terms of the types of wheelchairs that were being prescribed. They describe them as a poor quality uh, type of wheelchair that's being pre prescribed. If you think about Medicare and Medicaid, the pay, the, pay, the, the, uh, the health insurance of, minor, of, of, these minor, of the minority groups, possibly leading to a higher risk of breakdowns over time if you're prescribed a poorer quality um, 
wheelchair, and um, that could also lead to the negative consequences in the end. And also the fact that they were seeing that in, this, in these earlier uh, waves of um, spinal cord injury model system data, they were also seeing that minority groups were less likely to have a backup wheelchair. However, um, my question to uh, you know, our, my colleagues and to uh, uh, myself <laughs> was, you know, in, in previous research that was done, uh, we were, you know, uh, much of our data looked at um, black and white uh, people living with SCI, or they would group together all minority groups and compare them to non-Hispanic whites. But we know from public health literature, from census, what have you, there's more diversity that we see, more heterogeneity and diversity that we see um, across, within, actually, racial and ethnic groups than across, but that's a another conversation for another day. So I was interested in looking at the heterogeneity across racial and ethnic groups. Um, and most of, a lot of our literature, earlier literature in health disparities and, and at CI actually didn't really account for this heterogeneity. But what we were seeing though over the past three decades in terms of racial and ethnic diversity in the SCI model systems is an increase in the proportion of racially and ethnically diverse individuals who are living with SCI. So the proportion, like, you know, think about national trends and, and diversity um, in, the, in the national um, population. So, and, and, but interestingly, uh, like, you know, our, our health disparities research in, in SCI has really, they've uh, had an, an opportunity to identify health disparities in terms of, you know, like pressure ulcers and the fact that, you know, pressure ulcers tend to be, you know, um, when, like, for, take for example, non-Hispanic blacks, when they're diagnosed with a pressure ulcer, it tends to be, what, more severe, right, at a later stage relative to non-Hispanic whites. Um, health disparities in terms of functional outcomes, and then also health disparities in terms of, of equipment use as well. And that could be due to resources, um, in terms of access, um, access to the resources, um, also financial reasons, socioeconomic status, and things like that. So that's some of the background of some of the health disparities research that sort of been, has been going on, at least, in terms of um, assistive device technology and other kinds of disparities. Um, but I thought it was important for us to think about um, if we're going to address health disparities, then we have to understand what's going on for different racial and ethnic groups, and not just, you know, for lack of a better word, lump everyone together, knowing that there's a lot of diversity across, uh, within and across ethnic and racial groups. So the purpose of this study was to, to dig a little deeper and understand that further. So what we were able to do was um, take a look at the SCI model systems data um, from 2011 to 2016, that time period, um, that wave of data. And we had about nine different spinal cord injury model system sites that, from around the country that had contributed data or collected data for, um, for the Equate uh, module, SCI model systems module. So this was a secondary data analysis. It was a cross-sectional analysis, and that just means it was one time point, right? It wasn't, it's not an ongoing study in which you interview people, you know, one year one, year two, year three. It's just a one-time point um, study. And so this secondary data analysis, what we did was um, I looked at um, people who self-identified as non-Hispanic white, non-Hispanic black, and Hispanic. Uh, they had to have had an SCI, living with an SCI for at least one year be at least 16 years of age and older, 
uh, also have uh, identified that they use wheelchairs or primary means of mobility. So that's about at least 40 hours a week. Okay, and then I also had this point here, complete cases based on key outcome variables. Well, what does that really mean, right? Let's talk about it. So the outcome variable, so what we were trying to look at and understand were three outcome variables in particular. One was whether or not uh, racial and ethnic groups um, had, okay, so in the past, I'm just gonna read it. I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm trying to add-lib this. In the past six months, how, did, how many repairs did your wheelchair require? And if you, as long as you said one, as long as the individual said one or the participant said one, they were included in the sample. Then, amongst those people who reported that they, need, they needed a repair in the past six months, we also asked them, did you experience any adverse consequence as a result of the repairs? So from there, if you said yes to that question, then we asked you another question. What kind of consequence did you experience? Was it that you were stranded at home? Were you injured, Miss work? Missed medical appointments. I have a feeling we're probably missing some others, potential consequences that I'm sure people in the audience could probably share with us. But I'll just put that out there to you. Maybe we can come back to that near the end. But there might be something that we're missing here. These four categories or these four different types of consequences were actually identified in a national wheelchair study that was done in the uh, 80s. So I'm, I'm sure there's some things we could be missing. Um, particularly when you think about the fact that it was like a national study of all individuals that were living, uh, living with a disability, not specifically for spinal cord injury. So I'm sure there's some things that we could be missing. So um, we, so I told you how we sort of broke down the sample, how we, who we identified and who we wanted to, um, in terms of the data that we wanted to look at. So, oh, sorry, let me just go back for a second. So when I said that, that whole line about complete cases on key outcome variables, so as long as the participants had data for each of these outcomes, they were included in the analysis. Okay? So I'm not going to really get too technical, but we ran des descriptive analyses to tell us the means, the frequencies, the, uh, the overall patterns that we saw. And then we also ran regression models. So we were controlling for any of the variables that can contribute to any kind of noise or any of the variation that we we're seeing across racial and ethnic groups to, um, to look at the outcomes of our, um, the association between race and ethnicity on those three outcome variables that I mentioned to you. So, um, so we had a sample of about 702 participants uh, in the sample, and we uh, can see from, uh, let me just turn here, try to catch up with where we are right about now. So it's predominantly male. Uh, I don't know that I need to point to anything. <laughs> On average, we see that um, Hispanic participants were uh, enrolled at a younger age relative to the, um, oh, maybe I do need to point. Let me go ahead and do that. Okay. So the average age for participants was about 44, right? When we take a look at that across racial and ethnic groups, we see that the Hispanic population uh, participants were younger, relatively younger. Um, in terms of, we only have about oh, a third or so that were married, reported being married. And um, this was, when we looked at, among the people who were married, this was, non-Hispanic black participants were significantly less likely to report being married relative to the other groups. I mean, you know, this, we think about, again, and this is, 
you know, we think about this just conceptually in terms of an important variable, you think about a wheelchair breakdown and the consequences. So if you've fallen, um, who's going to be there to help you get up, right? And so if, if you're married, you may be more likely to have social supports in the home or wherever you are to assist you, right? So thinking about that. And so that was included in, in our regression model, definitely. Um, what am I doing here? What did I do? Okay. Uh, about half of our participants uh, were living with paraplegia. That was pretty consistent across all racial and ethnic groups. Uh, in terms of year post-injury, about 11 years post-injury, and that was also consistent across all the groups, okay? Um, socioeconomic characteristics, we know that, that we, in terms of health disparities research, we know when we're looking at race and ethnicity as a key variable in our analyses, we can't not account for socioeconomic factors. They pretty much go hand in hand along with race and ethnicity factors, right? So, but, um, so we have about 40% uh, of our of the participants reported, reported li did I knock this thing out? No, okay. Um, living uh, below the poverty level and uh, about 60% of them were um, self-identified as non-Hispanic, black, and Hispanic. So we saw some um, dif differences there. In terms of negative financial strain, I think this is a typo, so I apologize for that in advance. Uh, in terms of the, the numbers that were listed, this was significant, but I think there was a typo in terms of who um, reported. I, I know negative um, non-Hispanic blacks reported significantly higher negative financial strain relative to the other groups, but I'm not sure what happened with that, so I apologize for the typo. Um, in terms of private health insurance, uh, overall, so we see about 36% um, reporting that they had private health insurance, but a significantly uh, non-Hispanic non blacks were significantly less likely to have private insurance. Uh, in terms of education, different patterns generally seen, but broad strokes were just seeing, you know, um, a higher proportion of both non-Hispanic black and Hispanic participants reporting either high school or lower, less than high school um, education. And in terms of employment, it's, we know that employment rates among people living with an SCI is, ver is very low based on model systems and other national data. But even amongst the folks who are employed, we see significantly, le uh, uh, significantly lower rates among uh, non-Hispanic black and Hispanic participants relative to white, non-Hispanic whites. Um, wheelchair characteristics. Um, here in terms of, we have about a quarter of them reporting that they are uh, their primary wheelchair is a power wheelchair. Uh, and uh, but a higher proportion of the, the amongst these individuals, 40% of them were non-Hispanic black relative to about 20% uh, 20 to 24% among Hispanics and his, non-Hispanic whites and Hispanics. Sorry, I don't know what, I'm having a really hard time with this microphone. Um, about three quarters are living with a manual wheelchair um, and the difference there I guess is that we see a higher proportion of um, Hispanics relative to um, non-Hispanic blacks living with a manual wheelchair. In terms of wheelchair uh, funding, so we want to ask people who was paying for your wheelchair, and we see that about 50% reported, so this government uh, variable was actually, we used Medicare and Medicaid to populate that variable. So you see about 50% of them reporting um, having their wheelchair paid for by um, uh, Medicare Medicaid and a significantly higher proportion of non-Hispanic black and Hispanic participants um, had that funding for their wheelchair. In terms of having a backup wheelchair, even though this wasn't significant, about 50% of our participants reported having that. And I mean, just based on the numbers, we, we see that 
yeah, we didn't see any differences in this sample, at least in terms of having a backup wheelchair. So, wheelchair consequences and breakdown, break, breakdowns and consequences by race and ethnicity. Generally, what we observed was that, um, oh, let me get my, my table out here. I can talk numbers. Uh, we didn't really see any differences across racial and ethnic groups uh, in terms of wheelchair repairs that were reported in the last six months. On average, it was about 60% of them reported, of the participants reported having a, um, a wheelchair breakdown in the last six months, and this didn't really vary uh, much by race and ethnicity. And then in terms of negative consequences, can you hear me at the back? I can, I can speak pretty loudly, but yeah? Okay, great, thanks, okay. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> so in terms, in terms of negative consequences, we have about 36% of the uh, um, sample report, or the participants reporting having a negative consequence. And amongst those, the variation amongst the people who reported a negative consequence Really, did, we, we see that a higher proportion of non-Hispanic black and Hispanic participants reported having a negative consequence, but this was not statistically significant. But the pattern is there. So, uh, so then we said, okay, let's look at the types of consequences that were reported by race and ethnicity, and this is where things got a little bit interesting in that, well, one, we, I mean, we'd already noted, right, that being stranded is the number one reason, number one negative consequence that's uh, reported, uh, and that's consistent in this, in this sample. But where we see some variation here is that um, relative to, this line is actually incorrect, relative to non-Hispanic whites, non-Hispanic blacks were significantly, uh, participants were more like, significantly more likely to report um, being stranded relative to other groups. Um, being injured, there really wasn't much variation. We're seeing about, um, that was the next one in line at about, actually no, the next most commonly reported negative consequence was missed medical appointments. Uh, none of the black participants or non-Hispanic black participants reported missing medical appointments, but we see um, significantly um, higher proportion of, non of Hispanic participants reporting missing me medical appointments. Um, and so, but, and missing work and, and being injured, there was, that on average it was about, um, 3% on average uh, were reporting missing work or, or being injured uh, as, a, as a negative consequence. So we ran our models and you know, tried to account for everything and these patterns actually stayed the same. And so um, in terms of when we, when we controlled for things like um, marital status, like income, like um, even though uh, having a backup wheelchair and education and things like that. So these results are pretty consistent in that um, blacks were, uh, non-Hispanic black participants were I think 2.5 times more likely to report um, being stranded relative to non-Hispanic whites. And, um, and the Hispanic um, participants in terms of missed, import, um, missed appointments, when we ran those logistic models, models were about 2.3 times more likely to report um, Missed, missed medical appointments. Any thoughts, reflections, or comments at this point? I think this is an interesting point. <laughs> an interesting point in the, in the discussion to say, hey, so what do you think? Does this make sense? 
Yes, ma'am. Thank you for the question. Yes, this missed medical appointments. I I don't I don't know how I'm not sure what that's that was an anomaly to me. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know how to, I'm not sure how to explain that one. I'm not sure what that means. Well, what we asked them was if you if you um, you, know, you had a you had a wheelchair breakdown, you had a negative consequence. Did you miss a medical appointment? Were you injured? Um, did you miss work or um, were you left stranded? And so what we see is that a higher proportion of our um, Hispanic patients were saying, or participants were saying, they missed their medical appointments because of the wheelchair breakdown. So may, could you? So, so, the ones that, so you said you were surprised because they didn't report any missed medical appointments. They, they, they did. Oh, they did miss medical appointments. They're, they're saying there's this is a significantly higher proportion of of um, Hispanic patients that are reporting that they did miss medical appointments because of the wheelchair no, breakdown. Oh, it oh it could oh sorry you're talking about the non-Hispanic the non but it could be okay. it could be and you know it's interesting you know we don't we don't know that but that's okay. that's definitely worth exploring I think you know in terms of the context you know understanding the context of why that could be you know and that's definitely a next step in terms of the, the research exploring that. But no, I was I was thinking about I, the one thing I could I anomaly that I can't explain is really this bar right, right. here. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little stumped on that one. Um, so any thoughts or ideas? I'd be, I, I would welcome them. Um, say again. Oh, but the Hispanic pa patients were saying that they do, and they miss them because of that, because of the wheelchair breakdown. They may not, so that, uh, yes, that I get for the, for the zero, for the zero um, bar, I do. But the Hispanic bar is the green bar, and they were saying that they were more likely to say that they missed their appointment, and I'm not sure why, why is it that they're missing their appointment. It, could it be that they had more appointments to miss? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure how to explain that one. You know, that was the bar that I thought was curious to me. But, yeah, in terms of the non-Hispanic black, they might not have had appointments that they missed over the last six months to even to account for that zero. Okay, sorry, going way over time here. So we had these conclusions in terms of, so we didn't see any differences across racial and ethnic groups in terms of their breakdowns that were reported. Um, and in terms of negative consequences, non-Hispanic black and non-Hispanic and uh, Hispanic participants were more likely to report negative consequences relative to non-Hispanic whites. And these differences were associated with being employed, I think someone had mentioned that in the back. Um, low income and private health insurance. Those were the, some of the key covariates in our models. Um, some limitations, uh, sample sizes across minority groups. So in terms of like future research and what I'd like to do is like oversampling for non-Hispanic black and Hispanic participants uh, in terms of, you know, so that has to do with statistical and statistical um, analyses and what's, what's required for some of those high, higher level statistical analyses anyway. And then um, the limited understanding of the reasons for the disparities. So in, in terms of those, why is it that we're seeing that Hispanic participants are you know, reporting more, missing more medical appointments or why is it the blacks are not missing any? Or you know, even in terms of being stranded, what does being stranded really mean? You know, to, 
I mean, it could mean different things to different people, you know? So um, learning a little bit more about the reasons that were reported, I think was important to understanding, um, to thinking about, well, then what do we do if you are stranded, right? What do you do if you are missing more medical appointments or injured or things like that? So learning a little bit more about that I think will be helpful. And also I think we have some major studies that are doing longitudinal studies over time, looking to see like, are there patterns that we see in terms of world share breakdowns and the type of consequences at different time points in living with a spinal cord injury. Are people more likely to have more wheelchair breakdowns, you know, 10 years post-injury because they've had the same wheelchair? No. What is it? What Medicare, Medicaid gives you? It's for five years, about five years, right? So about, is it the five-year point that we're seeing more breakdowns or different time points along those lines, right? That we're um, seeing more breakdowns and more negative consequences over time. So those are some questions I have, some of the implications. I just, I, I think that, you know, some of these results, like I said, can help us really sort of target where we might need to make some changes for specific groups. Um, if, if folks are reporting that they're more like, like if non-Hispanic black groups are reporting that they're more likely to be stranded, you know, well, are there some things that we could do in terms of helping folks with, who are stranded? Um, and I don't even know what some of the consequences of being stranded could be. Could it be more medical, more wounds for someone who's stranded? I'm not sure if they're stranded in their home. If, you know, hearing reports about people who are transferring from their wheelchair to their car, getting stuck, stranded at that point, or if you're stranded at when you're out and about, you know, are there some things that we can do just based on the type, um, whether, how, how stranded are you, where are you stranded, and what are the, some of the implications of that, so. Um, and those are some references. These are just some references from our colleagues from Equate and from Pitt. Um, and I think that's about it. Thank you very much for your time this evening. To listen to more conference podcasts, information about Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, or Kessler Foundation, check out the links within the description of this podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Listen to us on SoundCloud and tweet with us on Twitter.